This is the Lightning Junkies podcast with your host, Chaz. On this week's episode, we have Tim K. He's talking about paywalls. He has a product called paywall.link and LNPay. We get into that and we get into various different topics related to paywalls. Before we jump into the episode, I wanted to talk about a few things related to the podcast. The biggest one is that on the previous episode of the podcast with Andreas Antonopoulos, we had our first sponsor as well. This episode represents the first time that my partner is going to be editing and transcribing this podcast. As of this recording, my partner has already edited and transcribed the podcast, and now I'm just basically doing the intro and outro We're basically building up the podcast to be a real business, as well as possibly building up a bigger production company as well. But we'll leave those ambitions to the side here for now. Let's go ahead and jump into the episode. I would like to go ahead and welcome Tim to the Lightning Junkies podcast. How are you doing, Tim? Hey, Chess. What's up? Thanks for having me. Of course, man. I definitely wanted to have you on. I really like the paywall app website that you have up currently. It gives you a perspective on content creators. That's definitely a world that I've been trying to delve deeper into. I think having you here would be a good way to explore a lot of those ideas and get your take on all that. Before we do that, we're going to do the typical podcast thing and get your background before you got into Bitcoin. What was your life like before Bitcoin? I got into Bitcoin pretty recently, about one year ago. I was always interested in fintech stuff. My first job was working at a financial reporting firm, which I actually really liked. We filed 10Ks and Qs, quarterly stuff, regulatory stuff for public companies. It's a lot of the back office stuff that goes on behind the scenes, dealing with actual shares. I got into trading. My first touch with Bitcoin was just trading it, but I didn't really get it. Then last year, got it. In between that, did the financial reporting thing, and then then the Paul Boost Lost Dog app. That was about five years. Started 2014. Still doing that now. Then last year was just poking around with paywalls. Not talking about Bitcoin at all. Just a general, why is this paywall thing not figured out yet? Micropayments on the web. I was curious, poking around, figured out, obviously, a huge problem trying to do this with credit card fees. And that was the biggest barrier. Then I found Lightning that way. I started with Lightning first, and then really got into Bitcoin. It was a different path. Yeah, definitely. I feel like a lot of people start the other direction where it's like, oh, I found Bitcoin. Oh, I found Lightning because Lightning adds something to Bitcoin. But it sounds like you went out trying to solve an issue and you found Lightning as the way to do that. Does that sound about right? Yeah. I was like, oh, Lightning can solve this problem of the micropayments thing, which then could be used to monetize the New York Times article. I could just pay 50 cents to see something. That was the general thing I was frustrated with. It was like, yo, they're leaving money on the table. I would pay for this, but I don't want to subscribe. I was trying to see if I could build a little side business or just explore if that was possible. Once I got into Lightning, I realized that pretty young. Bitcoin is also pretty young in the big picture. So I eventually started building things. Went to my first meetup probably one year ago, a month ago. Would you say that you're definitely into Bitcoin then? Or are you just into Bitcoin and Lightning for its practical purpose in your app? I'm into it now. 
once I got past the lightning part and started studying Bitcoin, I was like, oh man, started reading all the books, you know, like typical rabbit hole behavior. You just start reading everything. You watch every Andreas Antonopoulos video. You just get sucked in. I read Mastering Bitcoin and I'm technical engineering background too. So I got it from that perspective pretty quickly, but it was a lot harder for me to understand the economic side of it. I get money or at least i thought i got money but that side was really the fascinating part i found out that i just agreed with a lot of it too that i just didn't know how to put it into words i would probably have the same thing when i saw a lot of the ron paul type of traits in bitcoin land i latched onto those for similar reasons you were saying that you had latched on to the technology portion what are some examples of things that the technology does that you find really interesting is it just the specific use case of the paywalls and micro transaction? If we're talking about Lightning, yeah, the microtransactions, I think is one of the bigger technological achievements just because it's not possible right now. That's what makes Lightning unique. And I think that's extremely important because it opens the door to a lot of businesses and ideas and just things that just haven't been possible before. I believe that there's going to be a lot of creation, invention, businesses, and a lot of things that can take advantage of it. And so young right now that there's lots of just lots of stuff to do. And there's also the chance that none of it works or it's not useful. Microtransactions don't work on the internet or people don't pay for stuff like that. It doesn't function. I think all that is just so interesting. And then there's obviously like the base chain, all the base layer of Bitcoin stuff, which is solving of the Byzantine generals problem and all that stuff. But I feel like we all know that already. Along those same lines, one of the arguments that I've heard come up on the podcast multiple times before in relation to microtransactions is that at some point, Lightning may not be suitable for microtransactions because the amount of fees that people might charge for liquidity is going to make it cost prohibitive or something something similar to that. Do you have any opinion on that? I think that might be true. And based on some of the research people have done, I haven't actually like dug into it as much as I should doing. Peter Risen had his critiques of Lightning and some of those critiques are true, but I think there's still the bigger question of are micropayments a thing on the web and how are they going to be monetized or how are they going to be used? If that ever happens where Lightning isn't feasible to do micropayments, there's going to be layer three. It's going to happen. Yeah. And then it'll be micropayments on that layer and layer two will just be for like medium-sized payments. The main chain will be just for giant payment. If micropayments are actually a thing on the internet, then the tech will follow that. Lightning is what we're using now, but maybe it won't be Lightning later to facilitate these payments. But I'm making a bet right now on just micropayments in general, and Lightning is just the best tool right now to do that. Let's just go into that a bit here. Let's lay out what your app is for the listeners. We've talked about it in vague terms, but what actually is this app that you're talking about here? Last year, first little app idea was called Paywall.link. Basically, you can create a short link, like a bit.ly link, that redirects someone to some piece of content, PDF, just a website or a picture. In between that is a paywall. So you click on the short link, you have to pay lightning invoice and then it'll redirect you that was the basic idea that was good enough to be a tiny little mvp idea was to see if it could monetize content uh, and if people could use it that's still what it is today although i've branched off and built a lot more around it because of some of the things i learned about micropayments and content over the past year what are some of those things it's hard for individuals to sell their content. It's just tough. What this app enabled was anyone could sell anything pretty easily. You could sell your font pack. You could sell links that you found.
found that you thought were worth something. You could sell access to your podcast. You could sell health action plans. I think one of the crucial things that everybody learned is that selling your product is hard. Businesses struggle to sell their stuff all the time. Customer acquisition is a tough problem. Finding customers, getting in front of them, making the numbers work out to where the cost to get in front of them is lower than the revenue you can get. You start to see the value of the centralized aggregators like Amazon and eBay because they bring you the customers. Yeah, they take a fat fee, but they're bringing you the business. And those are real challenges for individual content creators. What I also found was that if you already had an audience, then you could sell your stuff a lot easier because you already had some kind of brand, you already had customers. But for people that don't, it proved to be really difficult, especially with a lot of small-time content creators that are new or don't have a large audience. They innately want their content to get out there as a growth mechanism too. So paywalling that goes against what they need at first. That's the tension that I'm feeling right now with the podcast. When you would basically suggest, hey, put all your podcasts behind a paywall. My hesitation is if I do that, then no one's going to care. Everyone's going to be like, oh, you want money for it? Whatever. I'll just go listen to the 30 other podcasts that are out there. My viewership will go down to nothing. There's definitely that out there. And there's definitely the concept of when I first started, a lot more people were willing to chip in Bitcoin or Bitcoin over lightning on my crowdfunding. I was getting a couple hundred dollars in the first couple of months, but now I'm getting a couple thousand sats here and there. Not to begrudge anyone that's willing to give me sats at all, but Obviously, if I'm wanting to turn this into a more serious operation, a couple thousand sats a month is not going to you know, move the needle much for me. I obviously need to think about more long-term solutions. If someone's mind in this situation might go to a thing like Patreon. At this point, I have a very negative view of Patreon. Besides the fact that it's all in fiat, they're banning people off their platform. What's your general view of the Patreon model, subscription model? Is that comparable to the bailing thing? Is it very different? What's your thoughts here? I, I think at the core, it depends on what kind of customer niche you can carve out. Paywalls are more focused on transactions. Patreon is more like the subscription base. I think as a business though, subscriptions where it's at. You got to find the people that really want your content and don't be afraid to charge them. Another thing that I realized is that trying to hit the long tail, getting a couple hundred sats from everyone is a lot harder to do than getting tens of thousands of sats from the people who really give a shit about about your content. And that's called the fat tail. Someone on Twitter turned me on to this and really made me think, dude, you really do want to go after the people that are crazy about your product and not waste that much time. People that maybe care about it. I think for businesses though, the subscription really is the superior model. It's why I am a bit bearish on just paywalled content in general right now because the New York Times, they're just thinking, we actually don't care if you would pay us transactionally. We're building out our thing for people who are willing to pay for the subscription. It's not for you if you don't want to pay it. Versus a journalistic organization, I don't feel like I am one of those. I feel like I'm more akin to just a Bitcoin talk show. That being said, I like the idea of having all my content behind a paywall and then having a lagging release of the episodes to be just free for everyone. Or even what Sam Harris is doing right now, where he has half of the podcast that's for everyone. And for the second half, it's behind a paywall behind his monthly subscription service, which I think makes a lot of sense. If you listen to the free half, and once you're done with the free half, you're like, God damn it, now I want to listen to the rest. It gets the, the person to buy in a bit more than if it was just a blind paywall from the beginning. You can't even get a taste of the content like what a uh, newspaper website might do nowadays. Do you see any kind of nuance there that the new 
York Times might put up a paywall, but you have nothing to whet your appetite. Whereas a more independent content creator is going to need to have more of that free content out there to bring people in. They kind of do that now. You can read a certain amount before they do it and you get five articles free or some shit like that. If you sign up and subscribe, what that podcaster that you just mentioned is doing, I think that's excellent. That thought process is what I think is the best for small time content creators or people just getting started or just thinking outside the box and building. It's more than just the audio. It's you as the host and there's all kinds of ways to monetize the podcast. Maybe there's like a extra part you record at the end. Maybe there's a and a session that's paid. There's lots of ways to do it. I, I do think subscription is the best for the business, for the content creator. I think that's the only way that they can actually make it work for them, which might not be the best for the customer. Some people might be like, yo, I just want this one episode. I just want to listen to that. Maybe you can release that later, two months from now, but trying to build out an audience that is giving to you monthly. For your ongoing work, you got to see if you can find those people. It might not be that many, but those few might be willing to pay a lot. It's the idea that 20% of your audience is going to give you 80% of your revenue. I think that's the truth right there what are your favorite use cases that you've seen for the paywall app fonts were one vector packs health plans the very first paywall was a rickroll trolling of course was the very first use case i was watching people use it i realized that a lot of people just started using it as a checkout page a paywall basically is a lightweight checkout page and a lot of people just started using it to sell more than just content selling gift cards or selling all kinds of random stuff that made me think like oh wow this is so fast and simple that it's actually converting better for people. I got turned on to trying to just help people convert whatever they're trying to convert better by using the paywall, the simplicity. You have the ability to do that with Lightning because it's so unique. You don't need a checkout page with like four fields and stuff. If you can sell your digital content with no shipping or you don't need their name or email or anything, then why do you need those fields? Built out what I like to call a pay-through rate, which is basically a conversion rate or click-through rate to help people get their customer acquisition cost and the amount that they are pulling from their paywalls just to make that ratio work out to see if they can actually build a real business in this lightning environment. Very interesting. Basically what you're saying is like ad hoc checkout pages where you don't really need all that much. Just like I'm selling a Counter-Strike skin. Here you go. Boom. Do you see it being useful in physical products at all or is there too much friction to be useful in that physical products yeah they introduced that you just need form fields and i'm not saying i won't do that ever but that's an eventual thing not enough people have asked me about that yet to be honest so that's a good sign for me that i don't have to do it yet if people bitch about it then i usually do what they bitch about for sure what have people been bitching about the most probably the ui the most because it does kind of look like shit it's very basic and simple, and that's good, but customizing the checkout pages or the paywalls with skins and stuff, there's a basic way you can do it with CSS, but it's still pretty technical. I am trying to make it into something that's easy for people to use without much technical skill that's on the paywall side. And I think it would increase conversion if you have a branded paywall. It seems as if you're not even leaving their site. People just need help selling their stuff. That's kind of what it comes down to. Do you see your ability? to actually grow this website more? Do you think there's a lot of possible uptake out there? Sometime last year, I made a light pivot into what I'm now calling LNPay. I, I struggle with it because Pay.link is a good brand domain name. And a lot of the growth of the operation has come from just the links themselves being pasted 
places. People seem to remember it. I did get a little bearish on the whole paywall idea for small creators a little bit last year. Started trying to build out a general payment processor. And the paywalls are the checkout pages, like I was talking about. I think of paywalls as like a lightning QR is a paywall. A lot of things can be created from that, like captchas. Instead of filling out a captcha, you had the lightning QR and then you would get something. I feel like that's kind of a paywall. People pretty much think of paywalls as strictly for content. It's been pretty hard to get past that. I came up with the name LNPay. That's basically the same thing, but it's more focused on trying to hit a lot of these use cases just in general to help people adopt lightning using quote unquote paywalls. but really lightning tools. CAPTCHAs are one example. That's one good example. Could another example be using lightning to log into something? So I have mixed feelings on using lightning to log in, log in with your node. I think that's tough for businesses to do because you need a way to talk to people and to engage with them. I do like collecting email on login. There's obviously the benefits of logging in pseudonymously with your node. You can argue there's key send and stuff or WhatsApp send messages, but I'm a little bearish on logging in with lightning nodes in general because people want to know people log in with their emails you want to because they want to hear from you or i want those people where do you see the future of ellen pay here paint a picture for me right now it's actually a little more focused on developers basically i'm taking paywall and i'm building out all the components i use to build paywall so that other people can use them too an easy way to talk to your node easy wallet management some people are using it to have a poker game or a blackjack game when you go to the site you can create a wallet and it uses the ellen pay api to manage that for you you can send and receive from the wallet without having to build out the lightning infrastructure on the back end just tools like that maybe some data some analytics just general tools that i've used that i'm using to build out paywall with an aws for lightning on a small scale is there any trust involved there are they having to trust your stuff or are they rolling their own it is very custodial actually i'm working on the next level the level up will be that you can add your own node this is just the infrastructure the middleware you have your node then you have this service that keeps track of balances strictly a record keeping layer and an interface that you can interact with easily with your application then you have the user but that's not there yet i think it's okay i think a lot of people get caught up on the non-custodial thing a little too early I would have never started paywall if I was worried about like non-custodial stuff. I think the non-custodial landscape is growing too. The macaroons and the tech, like the LDK stuff from Square should help with that. I'm excited for that stuff because yeah, it's custodial right now, but do I want to be holding people's funds? Not really. Not at all, actually. Just a necessary evil right now. But if you're doing small stuff, I don't think it matters that much. You can practice good custody hygiene. You can pull your funds out as fast as you can. Don't leave stuff and custodial places. That's the stuff I encourage right now just to keep the ball rolling and really test out stuff. I like encouraging people to try and get a business case first. Use this custodial tool to see if you have an idea that's worth working on. If you do, then get off of it and use your own infrastructure. No need setting up all this stuff for some idea that you try like one day and then you give up on. Is there an app or any other lightning project out there that's really holding your attention right now? Aside from the node implementations, I like what Ben's BTC Socialist doing a lot. He has this lnbits.com project. It's pretty cool. He calls it bits and bobs. You can poke around and create little 
molt wallets and stuff really fast and faucets, little lightning hack stuff. I think that stuff's really cool. I don't know if you heard of that. I haven't heard of this particular one, but I've definitely heard of a lot of the point of sale systems that are on those little circuit things. I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head right now. Yeah, the M5 stack yeah. set. So that's an example also of something that you can plug in with the LMP API. You can power those nice and easy. I mean, those things look so cool. I actually wanted to get around to that. I just got distracted with Casa and my node and then, then the Noddle projects that I'm doing with. I really wanted to grab some of those guys to have a point of sale system thingy for the Lightning Conference, but I ended up doing a, a different project. But that's cool though. I definitely like the idea of how you can just get some technology, throw it together, and now it's working, collecting money, sending money. It's very trust minimized, maybe not at the extreme of that side, but maybe more custodial, but but it's still very cool to see and gives you a good idea of where this technology is going. They're cheap and easy little things you can spin up and just accept payments real fast. That's cool stuff. I think this leads me to go to think about BTC Pay Server. Do you have any particular opinion of what they're doing with their project over there? BTC Pay Server, I think, is a good project. It's just a little overkill for a lot of things. Just setting up the whole stack, like the node, your base node, lightning node, plus all the infrastructure needed to host it, maintain it. I like it better as an infrastructure tool not actually the BTC pay part with managing nodes. But I think that project is needed for a hardcore users. That's a red hat, I think of it. And not a lot of people can do that. Asking someone to set up BTC pay is a tall order, especially for noobs. I would at least make an argument that it's not quote unquote, that difficult. I'm probably speaking from a privileged position of knowledge, but I think if you read a tutorial as a noob, you're kind of technical. You don't have to be very technical, but kind of technical. I think you could probably get it set up. Whether or not you could maintain it might be a, a different issue. I found it's tedious to maintain it at times. I think one time I actually had to go figure out how Postgres worked in order to change some database values to get back into my BTC pay server. I would say that's not within the, the grasp of most people probably just to figure that out on the fly. I see a lot of value in being able to spin up my Bitcoin node, Lightning node, and be able to set up a website and start selling something all basically self-hosted with my BTC pay server using something like WooCommerce. I started doing something with that then I didn't really finish because I don't think anyone really cares about stickers that much. It seems like there's a lot of tools there. There's definitely a lot of value, but I think it's for a certain subset of people. The important part out of all this is the non-custodial part. Depending on your threat model or your security model, I think BTC Pay fits one of those the most hardcore very well. But as we know, it's more of a spectrum. I think there's a ground there where you can still keep non-custodial XPUB style stuff and outsource the hosting to someone else. Everyone outsources hosting. You lose some privacy there, but if that's okay, if you're okay with that in your model, the custody of the funds is the most important part. That's why Lightning is so hard because hosting, you have to host your Lightning node. Low-key pain in the ass. I would probably agree with that. Along the same lines, when you were building out Paywall.link and LNPay, did you encounter any kind of general difficulties? Was there any unique challenges on Lightning? 
what was the hardest thing that made it less straightforward than you wish it was? That's a good question. Setting up the lightning node was probably the hardest part. And then it's kind of just been running. My node is in the cloud. It's in AWS. I've been traveling a lot. So I don't know where I would put it, but it's been there, which has been nice because I don't have to really worry about it going down. Yeah. Upgrades were a little scary at first. And channel management, I actually haven't had to do a lot of channel management. It appears that my peers are all doing it for me, which is very interesting. My channels are a little out of whack now, but they've been pretty balanced for a while because people just keep opening and closing their channels to me and rebalancing their end of the channel. I feel like a leech, but I haven't really had to do much in that sense. Do you have any thoughts on channel rebalancing? Since you haven't had to do it, you haven't really gone into that world much? Well, yeah, it sounds like huge pain in the ass, dude. I don't want to do it. That's why I've been putting it off. If it got to the point where I had no inbound or outbound, I couldn't process payments, I would do it. I just can't wait for that to get abstracted away. I'm going to try and push that forward to abstract that away because I don't, that's a huge problem that people just shouldn't have to deal with. It's going to go away eventually with channel factories and Taproot and Schnorr get in the base chain. It'll get easier. I can't wait for those days or just general channel management stuff to just evaporate, really. I hope it does. I have my B BTC pay server in the cloud as well. I use it as my lightning network node that I use as a routing node. I found that it's not very straightforward to rebalance just in general. There's some tools out there that I think that can help you with that. There's loop and other things that I think possibly can help. And there's a rebalance tool in Python. As far as I can tell, there's nothing that's really straightforward that would do it for you or intelligently look out for this one needs to be like this. I'm going to reset fees on this every so often to influence it. Like what Ellen Big does that influence the direction of the liquidity in the channels. So going past that, just a uh, little bit, you mentioned channel factories, Schnorr and Taproot. Are there anything else you're looking forward to in Bitcoin or Lightning right now? That's probably the biggest one. Some of the big things have already happened that I was waiting for. I was waiting for the macaroon, some of the macaroon stuff, the bakery stuff, because which is going to make building out a non-custodial aspect to like Ellen Pay a little easier with the custom, easier to make macaroons. Key send, I think is cool practically. Uh, I'm not entirely sure all of its use cases, but I think it's cool. It's been fun to play around with key send. I think that's about it, really. During the last part of this, I want to take us to a, a slightly different direction here. Tell me about Paw Boost. Paw Boost started in 2014. It's basically a Amber Alert for lost pets. If you're in the US, you probably know what that means. If you're not, it's basically an alert for a lost dog or lost pet. We use Facebook ads to disseminate lost pet alerts. So you can send out a Facebook ad geotargeted to a certain area. We just geotarget ads for pets and basically blow up people's phones on Facebook with pictures of missing animals. It's been going for five years now and definitely what I spend most of my time on. I work on the lightning stuff in the background. That's the day job. Do you find a lot of pets that way? Yeah, surprisingly a lot. We've helped reunite over 500,000. There's a lot of pets that go missing. It's a real problem, at least in the U.S., we have this group of people called the, the Rescue Squad that are people who just sign up to receive alerts. Demographic, they're 35 to 65-year-old women, basically 98%. They're just hardcore pet lovers. We, we found out the product is really built for them. They're the ones that share the alerts. There's like 3 million strong on Facebook of people that just help facilitate reunions and just 
are rabid pet lovers. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty much the mission is just trying to raise awareness as much as we can for lost animals. What do you think the top three lost pet species are? If I were to guess, man, I have no idea. Uh, We'll say dog, lizard, cat. (laughs) It's dog, cat, and then birds. Dog's the obvious one. Reptiles get lost too. Turtles, like they dip out when you're not paying attention. (laughs) How do you plan to continue to build this business? It's five-year-old business now. We didn't die. It's maturing a little bit. Some of the rapid growth is kind of leveling off. It's not nearly as stressful as it was before, but there's still plenty of work to be done. It's a bootstrap operation. We didn't take any funding. We don't have any investors or anything. Just me and my co-founder, Clayton. And we have a team of three and a half counting part-time people. We're working on making the product better for pet owners and the rescue squad. We have the freedom to do that where we're at right now. I can spend time in the background working on lightning stuff. Do you see your two worlds mixing here? At first, I was hopeful of that, but then I was reminded our users get scammed a lot by people with Bitcoin. They're like, oh, I have your dog. It's going to cost you five Bitcoin sent to this address. That's people's first touch with Bitcoin. It's like, yo, they all hate it. They all think it's a scam. Honestly, we tell them if you get message anything with Bitcoin, it's a scam. It's going to take a while to come back from that, which is unfortunate, dude. It sucks. That's their first touch and it's not good. It's something that's just going to have to work itself out over time. That makes a lot of sense, especially given that context i don't know how you come back from that it's like forget about that scam thing let's go ahead and okay i want to go ahead and talk about something that's slightly topical i hope that by the time i post this not too much time has passed maybe two weeks but i think at this point that might be a long time i'm just going to go up and bring the coronavirus up really fast you're in the united states correct has life changed for you significantly i've actually been a nomad since september of last year i was hopping around i went to three or four bitcoin conferences in Europe last year. I haven't had a quote-unquote home once corona started rolling through. I was like, oh shit. I was in Ireland in February of this year. I was like, dude, I need to get the fuck out of here. I got back to the States February 29. It was like the last day. I was like, all right, I'm going to post up in New York. And then just shit just started getting real. And I basically fled back to North Carolina where I'm from. I've kind of been all over the place, but that shit's real, man. I saw it come in when I was in Europe. It's been making its way everywhere. I mean, out of my element, to be honest, it's been a little jarring with the stock market market tanking, Bitcoin's all over the place, although I'm not really worried about Bitcoin at all. If anything, it's just on discount right now. It's an event. It affects a lot of the stuff you're doing, a lot of your relationships and friends and stuff. Something that I've been doing in this situation is thinking a lot. Having these kind of things going on has a way of slapping you in the face and forcing you to look at reality. Have you had any kind of interesting thoughts or profound moments in this time at all? Yeah, dude, you're on point. I have actually been like, damn, I'm not prepared for any of this. Just not prepared at all. I look at like my friends who are like in the mountains, basically surviving off their own land and have their own energy figured out and shit. Dude, their life is actually not changing at all right now. My life's all over the place. What am I doing over here? If anything, it's placing a little more value on stability and having your own shit figured out as opposed to just floating around doing whatever. What about you? Do I have any profound thoughts? I'm not sure I was ready to unleash them. I'm not sure if they're profound or not. This sort of thing has a way of wiping away everything that doesn't really matter. There are moments where I don't really care about Bitcoin all that much, if that makes sense. I still do. But if I had to choose between people that I love and Bitcoin, Bitcoin goes away. It it doesn't reach that level. It forces you to examine everything and it forces you to question everything because there's some non-zero chance that even if you're young, I'm in my 30s, etc. Even if I catch it, I'm most likely not going to die. 
things like that. I'm totally cool with that. I'm not really scared of dying from it at all. Deeper moral implications become overwhelming. I begin thinking about random people. I begin thinking about Wuhan and how that city is in a mess of pain and suffering and how that is creeping across the entire world. I spend way too much time contemplating that. Unhealthily, maybe. I can't do anything to really change the reality of any of that. So there's no good purpose in contemplating it for long periods of time. I mentioned on my Twitter that my partner doesn't have a job anymore because they worked in a restaurant and all restaurants and bars were all shut down here locally. I see that happening in more places. I see more cascading effects from that. We have Trump talking about helicopter money. They would never even think about that six months ago. Now it's like, oh, we have to bail out everything. We need to give you guys a trillion dollars. Everything can shift on a dime. Nothing's concrete. Your job means nothing. Stability means nothing. That everything is held together by a string is kind of what I said on a tweet at some point. I really think that. I spend a lot of time looking out my window. I have a kind of a view here and I look out the window and I see the life going by and I picture it getting progressively worse, progressively more dystopian or having a pandemonium going outside my door at any moment. I think that's approaching plausibility. It's not me just being paranoid for no reason. It's pretty much the same thoughts I've been having. Basically how ill-prepared I am. And you just don't think about it until it's too late. And I guess to be honest, I haven't really been that focused on the Bitcoin and Lightning stuff because all this shit's going down. Now that everybody's quarantined. I'm not going to keep going on this topic forever because I think people have fatigue. I do, to be honest, but I feel it's worth keeping it in here for historical purposes because, hey, this might be a complete non-thing in six months, but I'm willing to bet that it's not going to be a non-thing in six months. I want this to be kind of part of the historical record of my podcast. I'm not have any delusions that my podcast is all that relevant at the end of the day, but I still want it in there. This is a once in a lifetime situation dude a straight up pandemic yeah. what the fuck <laughs> no one saw this coming it's affecting everything right yeah. now man it'll be interesting to see how it plays out i've never seen something like this before 2008 financial crisis might have been the biggest thing that i've seen now we're doing this pandemic shit plus crisis 2.0 plus whatever other fallout's gonna happen that we haven't even seen yet this is definitely interesting times that's for sure hey i think it's pretty clear that in 2008 there weren't massive amounts of people just suddenly unemployed in, in this way where entire cities have the restaurants and bars just closed down the nba's turned off right now how many people are in the surrounding industries, not the NBA players, but all the things that surround sporting events. I'm not going to pretend that I'm an economics expert because I'm not even remotely versed in half of these things. So I'm not going to pretend that I am, but I think I can look at things in a very mathematical way. And I can see that the amount of things touching other things are going to radically shift is mind boggling to think that this $1.5 trillion business they did last week and all the repo stuff that they're doing this week and how they're dropped interest rates again and how they're basically moving towards negative interest rates potentially. There's some non-zero chance that they're going to roll e-coin into existence. Nerp, dude. Nerp. Nerp is upon us. I think someone on Twitter posted a picture about the treasury yield bond yields. It's like negative now, like official Nerp territory, yeah. something like that. It's like, dudes, we're fucked. <laughs> <laughs> Let me just bring us around here. Do you see Bitcoin being able to effectively help us? If the dollar does go to shit, Trump starts us on UBI type stuff where we'll start giving people $1,000 each month 
until this thing rolls over or until this thing ends. This thing doesn't end anytime soon type shit. Do you see the dominoes falling from here type of thing? Does Bitcoin play a part in helping people recover or to stay afloat? Or- I really don't know much about economics, but I, I don't see it being some overnight thing where all of a sudden dollars are relevant. But I do think that Bitcoin will continue to grow and do its thing. All this madness that's happening with the dollar, all that's going to continue happening. I don't think it's going to completely just capitulate one day, every day, more bullish than the next. Just think of Bitcoin in this whole situation. Like there's all this crash. Bitcoin doesn't have circuit breakers. It can't cut the interest rates or do all these weird ass tricks to try and influence the market. Bitcoin's just surviving, dude. It's just doing its thing. But I think people over time will start allocating money into Bitcoin and it'll preserve the wealth of the people that have it and just slowly grow and just be a, a good head. It's a little scary there for a second when it was tanking with everything else. I think it'll show itself over time as being the next gold. I think we can go ahead and leave things there. Was there yeah. anything else you want to go ahead and let the listeners know about the paywall app or anything else like that? Not really, other than just shill it. Paywall.link or LNPay. Those are where you could see what's going on. Docs.lnpay.com too. If you want to check out some of the documentation that I'm working on, that's pretty much it. Thanks for chatting, Chaz. Of course. Is there any way for listeners to help with PawBoost at all? Tell your mom about it. And yeah, PawBoost.com. Check it. There's a local lost and found page for like most cities in the US. Also, if you're not in the US, then if you're in an English speaking country, we're there. We just moved into Brazil. We just translate the site to Portuguese. So if you're there too, you can help. But that's really the best you can do. All right. Perfect, man. I really appreciate you joining me on the podcast. Yep. Thanks, Chaz. Boom. That was the 27th episode of the Lightning Junkies podcast. What did you think? Did you learn anything? I definitely think that the paywalls subject is a very important one or maybe just a a more broad topic of monetization of content is a very important one, definitely in this coronavirus environment. As mentioned at the top of the podcast, my partner is now doing the editing and transcription of my podcast, so it'll be a bit easier for me to start putting out more content, creating videos, doing streaming events, things like this. Hopefully, maybe we could start even doing the other content and other podcasts that I have in my brain. But for now, I will see you on the Lightning Network.